Well, hey, everyone. Welcome back to Deeper Still, the women's ministry podcast of Christ Church of Oak Brook. My name is Sue Ann Camfield. I have the awesome privilege of serving on staff here at Christ Church as the women's ministry director and being the host of your podcast. Today, I am back in the studio with my friend and fellow ministry leader, Chris Stevenson, where we are poised and ready to pick up the conversation we began last week on the book of James. We are actually going to spend the next eight weeks, all of us as a community together, digging into this amazing little piece of scripture. And so if you hang in there with us, if you let God do his work, I think you are going to be blown away by how much James, the brother of Jesus, this wise and courageous leader of the early church, has to say to us exactly where we find ourselves in the fall of 2020. Uh, One of my favorite Bible teachers, Tim Mackey, says that James is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut. And friends, that is what I experienced. So if you have your Bible close by or you have a Bible app handy, grab it, turn to James chapter one. We are going to walk through the first eight verses today. Um, But if you don't have a Bible handy, if you are maybe out for an evening walk or doing your dishes or maybe have your hands full with something, then that's okay. Just settle in. Just take a listen. Allow the work in the Word of God to do its thing. Um, We're just glad that you're here, and we hope you're ready to jump in and go deeper still. Well, hi, Chris. Hi there, Sue Ann. How are you doing today? Welcome back, my friend. Well, thank you. How's your soul today? You good? You know, it's um, hanging in there. I am definitely filled up by this kind of weather. I love, I think Mm. we probably said this last week, and if I'm on here anymore in the fall, you'll hear me say I love fall. Fall is very life-giving to me. The sun and the the cooler temperatures. Um, Having said that, I'm also feeling a little a little all over the place as I'm still adjusting to life with a schedule and um, all of those very good things. But yeah, I'm excited to be here and uh, go through these these intro verses in James because I feel like last week we just started to scratch the surface and had to almost rein ourselves in from diving into some of the specifics. So I'm excited that we get to do that this week. Yes, yes, me too. I'm excited about the fall weather and I'm excited about these eight Uh, first eight verses because, you know, last week we did on purpose. We kind of took our time. We eased into the conversation. We wanted to make sure that our listeners kind of got used to this idea of the podcast and what we were all about and why we were jumping into scripture. And so we eased everyone into it. But today, um, golly, I had 21 pages of notes as I was preparing for these eight little verses. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy, but it's also a testimony of just the amazing richness of the Word of God and why we do what we do and why we get excited about this. And so, Yeah, and well, and I think I, I actually love when I first looked at the schedule, it, I'm like, ooh, only eight verses. What a, I love when we do that because it forces us to not miss anything right. and not like read past and skip over the hard parts. So I, I love that we're just that little bit can give us 20 pages and more. (laughs) That's right. So I'm not going to go through all those 20 pages, (laughs) but we're going to have a deep and rich conversation today. And uh, I can't actually wait for us to get started. So what do you say? Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. All right. Will you do me a favor? And why don't you just read the first um, eight verses so everyone gets on the same page and we know exactly what we're talking about? I would love to do that. So ladies, those of you who are listening, we are just as a reminder, James 1 verses 1 through 8. 
And remember, this would have been read as a letter, so that's one of the neat things about reading it out loud, too. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. That's right. So when we read this, um, I know for me at least, my temptation is to jump right to verse 2. Because right in verse 2, that's where we get to the nitty gritty. We start talking about trials and temptation and endurance and joy and perseverance and all this stuff about how it applies to our life today. But I want us on this podcast, right? This is Deeper Still. We call it Deeper Still for a reason. I want us to be good Bible students. And I want us to learn. If we're new to the Bible, I want us to learn on what that means to be a good Bible student and to take our time and to push ourselves a little bit. So we're going to spend a minute. We're just going to talk about the first verse because there is um, so many good things in this first verse that set up the, not only the context of what we're going to talk about today, but the context of the entire letter. And so I want us to be really clear on what's happening here. So we got James 1.1. says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. So in just that one verse, there's two really important things happening here. We actually, we learn something about James. We learn something about how James identifies himself as a follower of Christ, how he postures himself or positions himself before the authority of God. And then we learn a little bit more about who he is writing this letter to, as you said, who the original hearers, listeners would have been and why that's important. And so let's talk about those um, two things. So how he identifies himself, he identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you may have versions of scripture that instead of that word servant, it says slave. And so a quick fun fact, the only other person in all of scripture to introduce themselves like this at the beginning of a letter is Jude. So for those of you a couple years ago who uh, some of my women in my Bible study, we studied first and second Peter and Jude, which... um, well, those were hard studies, but Jude, <laughs> if you remember this, Jude is the half-brother of James, or the brother of James, the half-brother of Jesus. And so uh, the only two people in all of Scripture to identify themselves as slaves or servants of Christ are these two brothers of Jesus who originally didn't even believe that Jesus was who he said he was, and yet they have this transformative experience. And now they're posturing themselves as people who are completely sold out to not only Jesus, their brother, but to God and the Lord. They call him the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you think about it for a minute, you you, um, 
take this word servant or slave and Chris you had some good comments about how um, this word slave it doesn't mean exactly what we think of uh, when we think about American history and some of the the, the uh, images that we conjure up about slave that's not necessarily what they're talking about here right and and I think that's really important to acknowledge Slave is a, I think we would call almost a trigger word now, and rightfully so rightfully in terms so. of the, the images and the narratives and the very real stories and lives of people in the United States and in other places of the world who experienced, you know, slavery being torn from homelands and forced into forced unpaid labor and all atrocious things. And it, so I want to acknowledge that right off the bat. But then I want to shift our understanding to 2,000 years ago and their understanding of what slave or servant meant. And the word, the Greek word that's used here is the word doulos, which is, can be translated as slave or as servant. And in, in that kind of Greco-Roman culture, there were different types of slavery or servitude um, that were going on. Most of the readers or listeners of this letter would have understood it or their reference point for it would have been um, a kind of urban household slave. And what a lot of historians suggest is those, again, it was not servitude by choice necessarily, but rarely did that involve a lifelong unpaid and forced labor. A lot of times those slaves were liberated. And so I just want to acknowledge that right Mm -hmm. off the bat, that the, um, so that people don't think, well, you know, twist the gospel here. You know, it's okay to be a, you know, to have slavery. And that's that's not the understanding we're supposed to pull out of here. What James is doing, though, as you said, is he's posturing himself in that place of utter submission to his Lord and God and Jesus Christ, and and that's important. That it's not a it's not an equal an equal power structure. It's not a power structure at all, but that's that's what he's doing is putting himself underneath the 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 authority. authority. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yeah. <laughs> I saw is, you struggle like, for it. <laughs> uh, um, he's putting himself underneath the authority of God, which yeah. is going to be super important when taking in the rest of the letter. That's right, because when we start talking about trials and temptations, it's going to be really important for us to understand that position that he takes about putting God in authority over his life um, is going to inform and and transform how we look at talking about trials and temptations Mm -hmm. and and perseverance. So that's a really important point. But I love that... um, you know, in doing this, he is also declaring absolute obediency, uh, obedience, <laughs> absolute humility, and absolute loyalty. When you think about a servant or a master or a slave, you're thinking about someone who's a hundred percent sold out to their master. Um, they are a possession of their master. They give up their own rights. They give up their own self-interest. Their sole purpose of existing is not to uh, better their own life or do their own work, but to do the life of the master. And so, um, you know, I was thinking, I, I've identified myself as a lot of things as a child of God. I'm a daughter of the king. I'm redeemed. I'm, I'm restored. I'm forgiven. I'm beautiful. All true things of all of us, yep. right? All of us as children of God. I have never once said I'm a slave or a servant of my Lord Jesus Christ. And so I've, I've been convicted right off the bat yeah. on um, just where I posture and position myself. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and he's he's also putting himself 
in a long line of servants of God. This is in the Old Testament, we start to see this language, you know, used about people like Moses. Mm -hmm. And I think the beauty of it is that when you're placing yourself under the authority of someone that you know to be utterly good, utterly perfect, utterly kind, utterly just, some of that conflict that we might feel about submitting and calling ourselves a slave or servant can kind of wash away because we are not putting ourselves at the mercy of a sinful human master, but we're putting ourselves underneath the authority of the Most High God. And that's an important distinction to make as well. But yeah, he's James is is in a long line here of people Mm -hmm. who have been honored to be called servants of God. Yeah, and people who have faced a lot of trials that Absolutely. we're going to talk about that also have had to ask that question that we're going to we're going to weave through the conversation today do we really believe in the midst of hard things that God is good right. that he is still trustworthy that we can still submit ourselves to his authority even when things get really hard so keep that keep that yes. in mind the other thing i i love about this is just a reminder that again the word servant or slave has such a negative connotation for us but only in the kingdom of god do you find freedom in being a servant, right? Um, There are so many times that the gospel talks about freedom. And James knew that by placing himself in this place that he actually wasn't um, shackling himself in a bad way, right? He He actually knew that all of a sudden he was experiencing this life that was more free, that was better than anything that he had experienced before. We see this throughout the Gospels, lots of message. Do a, do a, do a quick word study on the word freedom and see some of the things, the encouragement that comes up uh, from, for you throughout the Old New Testament about um, freedom. But it's this idea that James sets up for us right off the bat, that because we are servants and possessions of the Most High God, that we are free. It's just a central idea to the gospel, and it's going to frame what we talk about today. So um, anything else about that you want to add? And I also think the important thing about James is although he didn't believe in Jesus as the Messiah until after the resurrection, who modeled humble servanthood better than Jesus? Mm -hmm. Jesus took acts that were associated with servants washing his disciples' feet, um, you know, being in contact with people considered unclean that were reserved for people who were servants. Mm-hmm. So he modeled, Jesus modeled submission to the Father, and we can follow that model as well. And so again, it's, it's, it's not bad company to be in when you're in the service and the servanthood of the Most High God. And James saw Jesus model that servanthood. Exactly. Now he's modeling exactly. himself after, after his brother now too. So um, awesome things to remember and ponder. I think the other thing I want to throw in here real quick, and it goes to the second part of that. So that's, that's how James identifies himself as a follower of Christ. And then we go to the audience of who James is talking to in, in verse 1. And it says... Um, Greetings, it's uh, to the 12 tribes who are scattered. And we don't have a ton of time to go into this today, but I do want to set the context because we remember that James became this amazing leader um, in the early church. He actually was one of the three pillars of the early church. And if you want to see a picture of that, go back and read Acts 15. And there's this this, this uh, vignette 
that's called the Council of Jerusalem. And you see the entire early church in Jerusalem, even Paul and Barnabas are like at the feet of James, uh, laying out this dispute and waiting to see what James has to say. And so that's the kind of authority we're talking about that James had in the early church. And he's writing to those who are scattered and persecuted. So I, I said last week, it's really important for us to continue always to push ourselves to understand the bigger narrative of scripture. So not just look at our own little, you know, piece of scripture of James, you know, chapter one that we're looking at, but where does James fit in the bigger narrative? And this is this is how we understand who he's writing to in this context. Because in the larger biblical narrative, if you if you know the story of what happened after um, Jesus was re- resurrected, we see that the early uh, followers were mostly located in Jerusalem at the time. That's where Jesus lived, did his ministry. That's where most people were following him. And after Jesus was resurrected, the early church really starts to build steam. And this is back in Acts chapter 2. Uh, we see that Peter rises as kind of this dominant um, leader. We see that Pentecost takes place. Pentecost where the the Holy Spirit that Jesus has been promising his believers is just poured out and unleashed on the early church. And there's all these people there because all these Jewish people have traveled in from different places. And we see that Peter gets up and he just preaches one of the most remarkable sermons ever recorded in scripture. And, and it's so good and it's so powerful. And there's so much crazy stuff going on. Everyone just gets saved. We have this famous line in Acts chapter 2, 47. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. And so we have this explosion of the early church. The apostles get more bold in their preaching, in their teaching. Um, They are healing people. They are going around telling everyone that Jesus is the Messiah. And it turns out that the people who actually crucified Jesus, <laughs> the uh, the other religious leaders in Jerusalem at the time, thought that when they killed this, you know, when they killed Jesus, they killed. Um, when they killed the leader of this movement, that the movement would die. And I think what they didn't anticipate was that actually it would do the exact opposite and ignite the biggest movement that's ever taken place in the history of the world. And so uh, when the apostles are going out and they continue the message of Jesus, the Jewish religious leaders are not happy in Jerusalem. And so this mass persecution uh, begins to break out. We see that apostles are being flogged and beaten and imprisoned, um, all while a guy named Saul, later who will come Paul, is watching and participating. That's a piece of the story. And so um, they uh, are being really bold, and then we get to this part of the scripture in Acts where Stephen... And Apostle Stephen is the first person to be martyred for his faith in Acts chapter 7. And as you can imagine, when someone is killed for what you believe, um, it kind of freaks everybody out. And this mass persecution happens, and the church scatters. They spread. (laughs) And so now James is writing to the Jewish Christians um, who are now scattered because of persecution and are scattered all around. He's writing this letter not like other um, other letters that Paul would write to a specific church. He's writing this general letter to Jewish believers who have been persecuted and are now scattered. And the good thing about being scattered, however, is as hard as it was for them, again, trials that people face, consider it joy, is what we see, uh, one, a commentator says the Jewish diaspora, it's this fancy word for the scattering, extended to the farthest limits of the world, and there was no greater factor in the spread of Christianity. 
eternity. So God used that trial to spread the news of um, Jesus Christ throughout other areas besides just Jerusalem. And so that is when you see that word, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. That is what um, the context that James is speaking into. And when we get to verse two, I know we're just (laughs) on verse two, but this is good stuff. When we get to verse two, we see that the first words that James says to this scattered, persecuted church who's also experiencing a famine, and so they're poor, they are struggling, they're the first people to figure out what it's like to do this life together, and the first words James says to them is, consider it pure joy, my brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And Chris, I have to tell you, I read this. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And immediately something inside of me revolts because I feel like someone's just saying to me, hey, I know you're going through something hard, but just be happy. Come on, like put a smile on your face. Consider it joy. And it's kind of given me this Christian platitude. And inside, I just want to say, you know what? I don't. I don't like anything about what is being said to me right now. Yeah, and you know, it's it's interesting because I think one of the things we touched on um, in last week's podcast too is remember that from what we can gather, James is the first book of the New Testament chronologically to be written. So it's also not like the believers hearing this have this this Bible laid out in front of them. They're flipping through and reading the Psalms and going, oh, you know, and and it was, David was sad, and then they're not flipping to, you know, Corinthians. Like, this, these are the first words that have been revealed from God in over 500 years that they're hearing, and it, and James wastes no time. I think in my, the margins of my Bible, I think I might have done a, wow, he gets to the point. He's not wasting any time to consider it pure joy. And I have to go, oh, like you know, like you said, is are we trying to slap a happy face on all these horrific things that are happening to the Jewish people then, who are the Jewish believers then, who are listening to this? And then you know, if somebody whips this verse out at you now, when you've just lost a child mm-hmm. or a job or you know receive received divorce papers, consider it pure joy. Mm-hmm. It yikes. Yeah. And, you know, do you think that James is actually saying to us, uh, feel emotionally happy <laughs> when you, the, all those things that you go through? And, you know, as, as we were working on this podcast, I was as I was listing listing the trials um, of some of these things, people being diagnosed with illness, losing their job, losing a child, taking care of um, a very ill spouse dealing with a a child who has addiction issues. These are not just um, random faces. These are people I know that are going through these things. And to say to them, hey, consider it joy is a hard thing. But I don't think that what James is saying here is be happy about your circumstances. No, and I think it's it's an imperative. Mm -hmm. It's a command statement. Consider. But consider is a... I believe is a is a mental posture. He doesn't say feel it joy. He doesn't even actually say be joyful. Mm. Consider it. Put it in your head. And I, I think what he's asking 
the the readers and the listeners of this whole this whole letter to really think about is change change your mindset or or establish your mindset mm. to what can the outcome be because the verse doesn't it doesn't say consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds period mm-hmm. it's consider it pure joy my brothers and sisters whenever you face trials of many kinds because and i think that i circled the because in my bible because the reason to consider the joy is what will come out of it it's not not to consider the trial itself to be this you know thing to be celebrated we know for a fact that jesus himself wept at the grave of lazarus even though he knew the outcome because he recognized the awfulness of losing someone you love and you know in that moment of death seeming to triumph we're to consider it pure joy because you know confidence that the testing of your faith produces perseverance mm-hmm. so it's we have to read through to the end of it and know and again trust in a god that has more in mind than just the trial but yes. in, in the process that's going to follow it that's right that's right and i'm gonna i'm gonna pause this right there because i want to go back to something else you said before we get to the so that because we do that a lot <laughs> right like we want to get to the so that and it's a really important so that and we're going to dive into that but i want to i want to back up for just a minute because there's a couple things you said. First of all, I think it's it's we need to be really conscious. I don't think us as a culture, um, not just women, as a culture, I don't know how other um, countries do this, but especially us in America, we are not comfortable with sitting with people in pain. Mm-mm. We are not comfortable when people grieve longer than we think they should. We are not comfortable when people are struggling longer than we think we should. We want to, I think, sometimes make ourselves, we're uncomfortable with it, so we just want them to get better, exactly. move on, pull themselves up, get, you know, um, get better. And so sometimes we can say things like this, and maybe we don't tell them consider it pure joy, but maybe we throw some platitudes their way that don't give them permission to sit in the, the grief and the pain that they need to sit in Um during whatever the trial is that they go through. And I, I just want to be really clear that that's not what James is saying. He's not saying don't don't feel what you need to feel. He's not saying throw those platitudes at each other and make people feel bad when they're they're sitting in those hard places. I think uh, we talked about this on my interview with Dan Meyer, how the, the ministry of presence and sitting people with mm-hmm. pain is sometimes the, the greatest, most amazing gift that you can ever give someone. So that's not... He's not telling us to blow by that. Oh, absolutely not. And I again, I think that's why I'm so grateful if we read it carefully that he's not saying be joyful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah. He's yeah. he's he's posing a bigger question, but again, knowing full well the heavy heavy burdens that people bring to that verse just mm-hmm. as just as we do. And I think yeah, I think we do people a great disservice when we rush them through and and I think we do ourselves a great disservice when we rush through that process of grieving and wrestling and all the all the things that come along with with hard stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um I think the the other thing in this that stood out to me um you know it says when trials or troubles of any kind come your way. It doesn't qualify what kind of um trials it may be. It could be the really big things, the things that we mentioned. 
it could be um, some of the things we deal with on a daily basis. I mean, 2020 is a really good example of that. We have been through a lot of um, mini trials in the midst of a really big trial to figure out how to um, live with our family in quarantine, to figure out how to do our jobs a different way, to figure out how to um, maybe work through some conflict we haven't had to work through before. I mean, the list goes on and on of of trials that we have experienced this year. And I think one of the other important things to remember is it is trials of any kind. If if you're either in a trial now, you're going through a, you know, you you either just came out of a trial, you're in a trial, or you're going to go through a trial. None of us are exempt from it. And I think we also need to give ourselves permission and grace to one another that this is not about competing about whose trial is harder, right? I think you said something (laughs) in your notes about what it, what was that? It's not the suffering Olympics. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's interesting because I can go a couple ways with this and I, I, I tend to do it with my children um, to try to give, I think sometimes we try to give people perspective, you know, all right, the fact that, you know, your favorite shirt isn't out of the wash when you want to wear it on the first day of school isn't the worst thing that's going to happen to you. And, and it's not, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I have a tendency again to sometimes put off real, real feelings of myself and other people and pretend that they don't qualify in this and the Greek word is literally means many colored or variegated when it says various it's like there's all variety so we're not ranking them we're not you know my trials are worse than your trials or I have nothing that can hold a candle to what you've gone through because the point is we're not supposed to limit how God's going to use whatever the many trials gives God permission to use you know the loss of a marriage and it also gives them permission to use the daily frustrations and challenges of, you know, work life or something. And to don't we don't leave God out of any of those. He's present in the midst of all of them. That's right. That's right. Um, all right. So we've established that God is not, he's asking us to posture ourselves a certain way. Consider it, right? That mental position. Let's consider it. He's not asking us to feel joyful. He's saying that uh, when trials come, so not if, none of us are exempt, we will all go through something. And if you haven't yet, your time will come. Um he doesn't limit what kinds of trials they are. He's saying it could be the big things. It could be the small things, whatever they are consider it an opportunity for joy. And so he's not saying to enjoy the trials. And so the question I want to get at here and move us along is that if if James is not um, asking us to embrace the enjoyment of the trial itself, what does he actually expect us to embrace? And here's the key question I want us to consider as you're listening today, just if, if you if you remember nothing else, I want you to think about this because this is an opportunity for a huge perspective shift as we face trials of many kinds. And it's also a huge opportunity for us to go deeper still. This is one of those moments we can let God challenge us and mess with us and let the word really stick in our minds. Because if, if James doesn't expect us to embrace the trials and be joyful about the trial itself, what does he expect us to embrace? He expects us to embrace that God is at work in the trial. Okay, can you hear that? He expects us to embrace that God is at work in the trial. He expects us to believe that we, as servants and slaves of God and Jesus Christ our Lord, that we can trust that God is still good, 
that he is still who he says he is, that his character is consistent with goodness and mercy and grace and all those things we said about Jesus, we can trust all of those things in spite of our circumstances. No matter how bad our trial may get, no matter how hard maybe some of the things you are listening right now, and some of you are in the midst of this. This isn't a theoretical for you. You are in the midst of something very, very difficult. And you're saying, consider it pure joy. I don't know if I can do that, but that's not what God is asking you to embrace. He is asking you to embrace the fact that he is at work in the trial as a good and loving father who wants to work on your behalf for your good, for his glory. And so check out verses three and four, because this really gives us the why. This is where Chris was going. This gives us the so so that. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, right? It's that endurance. It is that, that, um, long suffering that we need if any of us are going to make it through this life. Let perseverance finish its work. Why? So that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And this phrase, this mature and complete, um, it can be translated perfect or wholeness. And so it doesn't mean that we ourselves are perfect or that we ourselves on our own are whole, but James actually uses it uh, seven times throughout the letter. And what he means is um, that we really can be whole and complete in the fact that what we say we believe and how we choose to live out our faith can be consistent with one another because we believe that our God is good in the midst of all our circumstances and that through our trials and through our circumstances, that the reason God does it, right? Anybody that's been through something hard knows when you come out of something hard, you are changed. You are transformed. You don't look like the same person you did before you had that experience. And God is at work in the midst of those trials, both in our lives and in the world around us, so that, friends, we can actually look and act and smell more like the person of Jesus Christ and that we can our relationship with him, right? Our relationship with him can grow and deepen and be different than it's ever been before because he's walked through the trials with us. This this is a perspective shift because think about this. All right, Chris, I want you to think about this with me. If our end goal, okay, if our end goal in this Christian life is to check off a box to get into heaven, or to have a successful life with beautiful children who love us or have some amazing partner, a fat 401k or amazing career or whatever it might be, right? If the goal of this life is to be happy and comfortable or when we're in the midst of our trials, if the goal then of our prayer life becomes, God, fix my circumstances, right? This is hard, fix it so that I can become happy and comfortable again. Not to say that that's necessarily always a bad prayer, but if if we see that as the goal of our trials just to make our circumstances better, if we see that the goal of our prayers, when things don't work out the way that we want them to, and let's face it, how much of life is about 
things not working out the way that we wanted to, or maybe God not answering our prayers in the way that we expected. When the end goal is not transformation, but it's fixing our circumstances and being happy, then guess what? We're going to be frustrated. We're going to be discouraged. We're going to be disillusioned. We're going to be even angry with God in the midst of it because it's going to be those why me, why this, why not them. And I'm not saying those aren't normal things to think. We'll get to that actually at the end. I'm not saying those are bad things that we can't wrestle with that. We have a big God and he He is okay with us wrestling with those. But if that's our goal of the trial, right, then we are not going to come out of that trial as a changed person or know more of God. We're going to be frustrated and discouraged because things didn't work out the way that we wanted them to. But if the goal of our trials to actually be transformed more and more into the image and likeness of Christ, to know him more, to be a reflection of his goodness in this world, to strengthen our relationship with him, with, to build trust, if that's the end goal, then how do we all of a sudden shift that perspective? How does that change how we consider it joy when we go through trials of many kinds? Well, and I think... I mean, every that it's so true. And I think it's so much of that perspective shift comes from knowing, having a, a, a accurate knowledge of who God is. Yes. Um, that God is not, you know, Santa Claus who drops, you know, the present you put on your Christmas lift off, you know, down the fireplace. He's not he's not a quick fix he's not like and i think our humanity tends to do that but if we fundamentally understand who god is that he's good mm. he's and he wants good for us but what his good for us is may look different than when we than our human perception of that and his good for us is to be transformed more and more into his likeness mm. end of story and and to be honest, that's probably often accomplished better through trials and tribulations than it is through a comfortable life. And that's I even saying those words, I like had to like pull them off my tongue to say them because I don't want that to be true. Mm-hmm. I want to be transformed by my comfortable life. <laughs> Thank well, you very I can't much. Be the way God does it. Because <laughs> um, I don't know about most of you, but I really like comfortable. That's right. I think all of us do. Uh, check out this quote: a James one three kind of lifestyle, the kind that endures because of testing, requires a radically God centered perspective on life. Think, a tri- think of a trial in your own life, whether big or small. If the goal is just to fix your circumstances, then you are setting yourself up for constant frustration because often the circumstance won't get fixed like you want it to, and sometimes it won't get fixed at all. Even when it's fixed like you want it, something else will come up. You will live in constant anxiety. But if your ultimate goal is not just to fix your circumstances, but to know God and to grow in God, then we can rejoice no matter what because we will achieve our goal. God has designed trials for your growth and godliness. Trials are joy when God is our goal. I mean, that's perspective shifting. For sure. For sure. And I'm going to throw a quote right back at you from Matt Chandler, that one of the greatest anchors for our souls in the trials 
regardless of the intensity of those trials, is the knowledge of the goodness of grace of God in your life. The greater the knowledge of God's goodness and grace, especially in the world of common grace, the more likely you are to praise him in the storm. Mm. So we don't just pull the, again, when we say this to ourselves or to someone else, we're not just pulling this out of our back pocket. This requires an ongoing commitment to understanding the goodness and the grace of God. And it's probably best to cultivate that in in the calm times too Mm -hmm. and to practice that knowledge of him because then it's it will be i'm not going to say easy easy because it's never easy to align yourself when your world is falling apart but it will be easier if you can remember how good god is Mm -hmm. to and to understand that he wants good for you and to bring you out at the end of it yeah um matt chandler so he's a pastor uh, down in uh Oh, he's somewhere south. I think he's da- I think he's Dallas. Dallas. You're right. It's Dallas. And the reason we're bringing him up a little bit, he has a study at James. It's on Lifeway right now. And I was just listening to a sermon by him, and I did not know that he had a brain tumor. They gave him, uh, this was in 2009, diagnosed on Thanksgiving Day with a malignant brain tumor. They told him he would have two or three uh, years at best to live. And he had to struggle with, like, this is a pastor, and he had to all of a sudden sit with this verse and say, wow, do I actually do I actually believe this stuff? Because right. now it's me. This trial was, this is a big one. And he said he just held on to what he believed and, and knew was true. And somehow God gave he and his wife the grace to not uh, say, he said one time he asked, why me? And that was it. And the rest of the time he said, God, how can you use this for my good and your glory? So... It's yeah, his pretty amazing. His story is remarkable, and I and again, I think to somebody who's in a hard, an especially hard place, I think it's and we're we're going to get to this in a little bit. It it is okay to say why me. Yes, God can take that if you're in a place of grief and hurt. But the more you can remember again, I and I feel like a broken record remembering God's goodness. I when we've studied Old Testament books before in the well or in my personal study, that idea of stones of remembrance or altars of remembrance to God's goodness and God's faithfulness, he asked the people of Israel to make those altars so that they would remember him in the hard times. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we can do that, the more we can anchor ourselves to that and and embrace this shift in perspective. Because again, this is not what the the world is going to look at you and write a book like Why Do Good Things Happen to Bad People? Or mm. no, Bad Things Happen to Good People. And the other way around too. <laughs> but, and, and we can answer that with confidence. These trials happen and God uses them to make us more like him. Yes. Yeah, that's the end goal. All right, we got to move on to wisdom. We got to get to verse five here and finish out these last through three verses. So James talks to us. He hits hard on trials. He moves on to wisdom in a way that begs the question, um, okay, so when I go through these trials, everything we're talking about right now are not easy, easy things to do. So like we got to get to a place where we say, God, how do we? How do I get your perspective on this? Because on my own, I can't really see the good in this. I don't really care that you're making me more like you, because I'm grieving the loss of my child, or I'm I'm grieving the loss of my spouse, or I just lost my job. Whatever it may be, I don't really care that I that I may be more loving when I come out of this. I just I want my people back, or I want my my circumstances fixed. So James is acknowledging that, and he says, "Okay, how do I do that?" Verse five: If any of you lack wisdom 
and that should be all of us, <laughs> you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, not if, but when, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And so I got to just say right here, I read verse 5, and I'm like feeling good, right? I'm like, okay, if I lack wisdom, yes, Lord, I, I lack wisdom. I am I'm not smart enough or good enough to do any of this on my own. That's easy enough to do. I submit myself, Lord, give me your wisdom because on my own power, I got nothing, right? Easy to do. And then James says this really nice thing that when you ask, God gives it generously and he does it without discriminating against anybody and he's going to give it to you. And I'm like, all right, I like this gospel. I I like these but, words of James. I am but. so down with this. <laughs> and then he goes, but, verse six, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because you know what? You're going to be tossed by the wind and you shouldn't expect to receive anything. And by the way, when you do that, you're just a double-minded person and you're unstable in all you do. And I'm like, ouch. All right. I was with you, James. I was feeling, you made me feel so good. And now all of a sudden you're challenging me again. And so let's, this piece of it, six through eight can be really misunderstood if we don't understand it. So I want to make sure we give our listeners a really good understanding. So they're not, they're not walking away with some misinformation here. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I will say that my reaction is the same. I'm reading along. I'm like, yeah, you know, trials, God's going to change me through them. Okay. Wisdom. Awesome. And then like, wait, can we just run past this? And this is the part of it where I'm like, why don't we just do all of James 1 the first week? And then we can just skip right over. Um, because they do. They seem super harsh, especially when you think back to the circumstances that might be involved in the trials of verse 2. Those are things that rock people's world and shake them to the core and absolutely could cause a person to doubt. And I, I think from what I've read that that's, that's not where we need to go with this though mm -hmm. so the greek word that's used here in um in verse eight when they talk about double a person is double-minded and i don't take greek so we're going to do my best <laughs> with pronunciation here um but the greek word is dysikos and it would be kind of cool if you could see it written out because you can literally see the word psycho in there so you know <laughs> Awesome. And like die, you, all you who did ACT prep, it's like two. It literally means double sold. Mm -hmm. And from what we can tell, it's the first use of this word in not just in scripture, but even in kind of literature of the time. So it's possible that James kind of like put the pieces of words together for this very purpose to describe this very circumstance. And it has more to do with like that insincere commitment. It, this is not talking about real, about doubts that rise up because of the hard things that happen. And it's clear from scripture. It's clear in the Psalms when David and other psalmists are crying out, God, where are you? I'm in a pit. I'm dying. When Thomas comes to Jesus and is like, I, I just don't know. And Jesus like, Put your fingers in my hands. When Peter sinks into the the sea, even though he wants to believe and he just can't quite keep his eyes on Jesus, Jesus lifts him out of it mm. and doesn't berate him. So I want to be real clear that I don't think this is talking about those kind of doubts. This is talking about, I think, somebody who kind of wants to have it both ways. Mm. 
who wants to, um, you know, have maybe have the label of Christian or believer, but hasn't fully cast their lot in and is, is you know, double sold, who's sold out. I, I thought it was interesting in one of the commentaries I read that describes this is an age, this problem too of double soldness is kind of an, an age old problem. If you go back to Elijah and he stands before the people in First Kings and says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Joshua does the same thing. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in the land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So I think when we have made, we've cast our lot in with Jesus, we've made our decision for him, I, I think, and continued in that decision, that's we're we're not falling in this double soul lot, but it's a warning. It's a warning to certainly check your hearts to um, remember God's goodness. And I think it again. I'm I'm going to bring it back to that that when we fall into the temptation to think that God is something other than good, mm-hmm. we're going to start to to go down this path of, of being divided from the truth. And, and that's when you're going to fall in danger of, of, you know, kind of being double sold dicycho. Um, so, th- but I, but I truly believe that he is not talking about, you know, you're in the moment of grief. Oh, God, where are you? Right. Cause he's scripture shows him to be nothing but merciful in those situations. Yeah. This is not a, this is not a shaming um, for those of us that doubt when we're going through hard things and even to doubt God's goodness, even to have, have those, why me? How could you let this happen moments? That's normal. That's human. We are flesh. Uh, I, I think I don't think there's anyone who's going to walk through something hard and not have those moments. But I think the acknowledgement here is there's always a war going on in between us, between our flesh and our spirit. And our flesh is always going to want to not trust God. Our flesh is always want to go back to the garden and say, did God really say? Mm-hmm. Is God really good? Is it really? That's our flesh. And our spirit is going to say, but God, I know, <laughs> I know who you are. I've seen those stones of remembrance in my life. I've seen you show up before. What do I? Be- what am I going to trust here? What am I going to believe is really true of you? And so the wrestling is real, and the wrestling is part of our relationship with God. It's part of working out our faith. It's part of being human. And there's no shame in the wrestling. There's nothing wrong with the wrestling. It's exactly what you're saying, that double, double-souled double person who's up lifting their hands up in the sanctuary and then going home and living a completely different kind of life than the one they are um, professing mm-hmm. in front of other people. And so that, I think, is the difference today. And I was, you know, as we're having this conversation, I just think anytime I see something hard, anytime I watch the news, Anytime I um, see one of my friends going through something, you know, I just sent my daughter off to college in um, Arizona, and um, she's been there not even a week. She went camping and hiking and cliff jumping already. I mean, what the heck, right? (laughs) Too much fun. Um, Oh, my goodness. So, and she's making plans to go to the Grand Canyon right now as we speak. And so, we're trying to settle her down a little bit. That is not the point of the story. The point is, (laughs) she was camping over the weekend, and we got a news report 
of uh, someone who was a sophomore um, at the college who luckily she wasn't in the exact same group, but they were in the same place. Uh, She got in a car and went home on Saturday night to get back to her dorm room. And on Sunday morning, this young man was sitting around in a chair in the campfire uh, next to a campfire and slumped over for no apparent reason. Uh, His friends uh, kept him alive by CPR. They called the medic. Uh, They life flighted him out. His brain didn't get enough oxygen. And now he's lying in a hospital bed. Um, and they're not sure how things are going to go. There are a lot of people praying. His name is Jared, if you want to say a prayer for him right now. I've never met them, but I see stories like that, and I say, God, are you kidding me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? And any time, whether it hits so close to home or it's someone I don't know, I come back to that question. God, do I really believe that you are who you say you are? Do I believe no matter the circumstances, no matter what's happening in this world, this earth is not our home, we are not meant to stay here forever, do I believe in the midst of Allah that that you are still good, that you are still loving, that you are still merciful, that you still have um, my best interest at heart and what my best interest is or what that interest of that family is who's struggling right now, again, is not to fix the circumstances, no matter how hard they are, the purpose is to make us more like Jesus in the process. And I don't understand all that all Mm -hmm. the time because I'd rather have the circumstances fixed, but I have to trust. (laughs) Do I really believe this thing that James is laying out for us? Do I really believe what I say that I believe? It's not easy. No, and I think, as you said before, we have to to fight for it sometimes Mm -hmm. and understand, too, that... The devil would love for us, just like he did in the Garden of Eden. He would love to plant and feed and water that seed of doubt in God's goodness. And he will use those situations to do just that. Mm-hmm. And so we have to we have to fight for it and we have to pray against it and pray to know it. And I, I think too we have to surround ourselves with people who will help us do that. Mm-hmm. Because we're not always, you know, gonna be able to do that on our own That's right. in those circumstances. And God knows that and didn't it's why he didn't intend for us to function in isolation and in, you know, we're meant to be in a community of believers so that when things like this happen, yeah. even if I can't know that God is good, there are people that are around me that can go, I know right now that you can't see it and maybe they can't either but they can come around us and help carry us through and and I think that's part of that when he talks about the the waves part of your anchor in mm-hmm. those waves is God himself but it's also the community of believers that will remind you um, of God's goodness and his his bigger picture that we may never see or understand mm-hmm. yeah amen to that Um, So friends, we're about out of time here. I'm going to leave us with one last um, thought. Mark chapter 9 is the story of a father who takes his son to Jesus. His son is um, demon-possessed in the story. He's sick. He's been sick for a long time. And and this man, this father, takes his boy to Jesus. And he says, um, Rabbi, if you can, if you can do this, will you heal my boy? And Jesus' response back to him is, what do you mean, if I can? If I can? (laughs) Do you believe who I said, who I've been saying I am? And um, Jesus says, you know what? Anything is possible if a person believes. And there's this famous line in Scripture, the Father cries out, I do believe. 
but help me overcome my unbelief. And what we see is Jesus takes that little mustard seed of faith, the honesty, the transparency, the heartache of this father, and he heals the son. And again, that's not always going to be the ending of our story, but God, help us overcome our belief. Help us when we don't believe. Help us see joy in the midst of trials, not to fix our circumstances, but because we believe that you are good in the midst of trials, you are going to make us and transform us more and more into the image of your son. And so that is my hope and my prayer for us today. So Chris, thanks so much for helping facilitate this conversation and bringing, as always, your amazing wisdom um, to the scriptures. I so appreciate you. Thank you. Well, friends, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that you enjoyed that conversation. I hope that you learned a few new things. I hope that you were challenged and encouraged and inspired and all those things that we want you to be anytime that you enter into the study of scripture and enter into community with one another. Remember, you can listen to these podcasts on your own. You can join a small group or you can chat uh, with a friend over a cup of coffee, however you want to use them. I just hope that you'll come along for the journey and join us as we go from week to week, especially in the study of James. We will be back next week. Uh, We will be studying James 1 verses 9 through 18. Lisa Garvin, another amazing woman of God and ministry partner, will be my co-partner to help guide us through those verses. So remember also that you can listen to Deeper Still on multiple platforms now. We are on Spotify. We are on Google Podcasts. You can find us on the Christchurch website. But wherever you find us, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, share on your social media. Help us to get this word out about this new community that we are finding ourselves in. You can also follow Christchurch Women on Instagram and on Facebook. And you can always, again, check out our website at www.christchurch.us forward slash women and learn about all the many things that we have to offer here at Christchurch. Well, most importantly, remember today that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, whatever trial you may find yourself in, or maybe whatever one is looming on the horizon, trust that God is good. Trust that he is who he says he is and that he will use all things for your good and for his glory as he transforms you more into the likeness of his son. So friends, have a great day. May the peace of God be with you. I hope to have you back next week as we continue to go deeper still on this life and journey of faith together. Have a great day. Have a great day.